I hope that bodes well for our Atlanta Falcons. It's Dukes and Bell of Sports Radio 92.9. The game that was Bobby A. Bear earlier today talking about what the Saints accomplished under their then defensive line coach and Ryan Nielsen. He's going to be our new defensive coordinator. Now, Mike, they've already hired a secondaries coach and a guy with, you know, play calling experience and Jerry Gray. They're going to hire another linebackers coach. We're going to get a new defensive line coach. So we, we got to figure some things out there. But I'm liking what I'm hearing so far about Ryan Nielsen. You know, again, when we hired Dean Pease, he had a long resume. He was already a Super Bowl champion and had, had, you know, called plays for championship caliber defenses. He just didn't have the talent around him this year or last year coming into this situation, Mike, to, to you know, for that to transform into what we've seen him do in other places. With Ryan Nielsen, he's coming in, Mike, and he's saying, listen, we've got to develop some of these young guys that we have, and we've got to be better with those guys and getting them right. And, you know, when you talk about adding depth, we talked about, you know, you, you and I are cool. Bring some guys from the Saints. Just don't bring Marcus Davenport. But there's some other pieces. Amanyata we talked about, a defensive tackle. Bobby Abear talked yep. about. You just mentioned how he helped in that development. So, again, teaching, developing, but we got to go first things first. You can only develop. Somebody's got to have some talent. You cannot – look – and I, you said it, peas turned lemons into lemonade for the most part. I know that in all the metrics and stats, we weren't great. But you got to be honest with ourselves. We, with all that stuff we just talked about, missing pieces here, there, everywhere, no pass rush, almost every game, Carl, eight of our ten losses, we were in it to the last possession. No doubt. So, I mean, that's – now, can, can Nielsen do that and develop what we've got? The only way that Eba Katie or D'Angelo Malone or whoever we draft gets better is by having a rock star stud. I mean, if there was a way, like, could you move heaven and earth and get a guy like Jalen Carter and put him next to give me yes, that would be amazing. But he's going to be gone. So we got to go to something else. So maybe it's a corner in the first round, mm. and we're going to go do it through free agency. I'm just really, really excited. Money, picks. We've got five picks in the first 114. What are we going to do with it? How is Fontenot going to fix this thing? Fix the Falcons. We are, I think, in the best position, okay, to make a big move in 23. We are the best positioned team with, with salary cap, okay, draft picks, with direction. You've got a coach who's already built somewhat of a culture. Right. We're going to be a physical football team. These are things we already know because we ran the football. Nobody was better. There were two teams better than us running the football this year. These are things we know. There's nobody more positioned, better positioned than we are to make a move. And that's why I keep saying – I think we're going to be favored to win this division. Now, that doesn't mean anything, but with the absence now of Tom Brady and what's going on in Carolina and what we just heard about the Saints, again, you can tell me that you believe in Andy Dalton more, but, Mike, you just lost arguably your most important defensive coach on that team. And that's where we, we, we have to develop, but we've got to get better. The free agency has got to address defensive line and to some degree offensive line. I'm just curious. I'd love to know what, how, how they're prioritizing it. And, and what I mean, do they? they it's got to be the trenches. It's got to be. There's no other way. The, the Chiefs. We talked about the Eagles so much this week. Eagles are doing it because they got the trenches right for the better in you know, the last five or six drafts. Carl, when the division is won with eight and nine record and Tom Brady, we are certainly in the mix to win this division next year. Period. Because of all the things you just talked about, nobody's got a quarterback right now. We'll see. Everyone's in love with Levis. I mean, maybe it's going to be C.J. Stroud in Carolina. We'll find out. Yeah. Saints don't pick till the 29th, and that's because of the Denver pick. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what what they do because now you're getting to a Saints team that where you're starting to lose all these pieces and you're trying to replace them. It's going to be interesting to see how they they shake that out. It's Dukes and Bell at Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We're going to talk about Trey and the photo that has everybody talking. <laughs> but right now, let's talk some dogs. 
Sid Bell on the sidelines with, with the, the dogs. dogs. The Dog Report is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, a proud partner of the Georgia Bulldogs. Our poll question is up. If Todd Munkin leaves, how worried are you about UGA finding the next OC and Alabama in the hunt for one as well? Alabama is targeting Notre Dame's current offensive coordinator. He's 30 years old. But, Mike, that doesn't mean anything. He's hired other guys uh, in the past. It's worked. Saban, we'll see if they go there. But, ironically, the surprising thing to me is, here are your four choices for our poll question that's up at Dukes and Bell 929. Very worried about Bama. Nah, 8%. Slightly worried. Nah, 6%. Munkin needs to stay. That's Mike and I, 34%. And then 50% of the folks who have voted on our poll say, not worried. Kirby has it. Let me say this. This idea that you can just throw anybody in there and it works, I want you to think about who was there before Munkin got the job. It wasn't this. Jim Chaney, as good mm-hmm. as he was, wasn't this. Coley wasn't this, Mike. No. So this idea that, oh, well, Kirby has it. Well, Kirby's not calling the plays. And Kirby went and got a veteran guy who he trusted to say, hey, handle the, the offense. I need you to develop my quarterbacks and make sure we're not making mistakes. Munkin has done that. I'm not going to dismiss this, Mike, if Munkin leaves to the NFL as if, well, you can just call up anybody and they're going to be okay with play calling, which he was brilliant at this year. Well, it's interesting when you think about Georgia went to the national championship, won that Rose Bowl with Chaney calling the plays, remember? And nobody was really enamored with his play calling ability, right? It was Yes, yes. And it was almost like he was the throw-in with the uh, Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman developed the offensive line, was the, was the real prize, and Cheney was the package deal. But you did have success, but you're right. And it's funny, Munkin even addressed it, saying that, well, like, if I suck, but I'm not going to have this job. He knew and heard the things we and other Georgia fans had talked about, about the scoring. This thing was amazing this year. And you think about it, without really having A.D. Mitchell, without having your full cadre of wide receivers, you were doing this with running backs and fourth and third options at wide receiver. Lad McConkey banged up much of the year. Certainly the tight ends were the huge factor in Bowers. That's why I want Munkin back, because yes. Bowers is back. I'm with you. I mean, let's send him out with a bang because he's going to the NFL but, after this year. But you said this earlier, you know, it's an arms race. And if Notre Dame's offensive coordinator, uh, who's it going to go? Tommy was free. Is going to go over to the uh, to Alabama? That's the hot rumor? I don't know. I mean, I just – I'm not exactly sold that Alabama, you could argue, yes, they've got a number one recruiting class, but – is this the year that Saban doesn't hit a home run with his OCs as he's had star OC after star OC who's gone on to head coaching jobs, come from the NFL? You know, it's the Saban car wash, right? Your resume is cleaned up and you're back on track. Yeah, listen, Steve Sarkeesian, right, when he left Alabama, they were scoring 50 a game. It was a school record and 543 yards a game, a school record. And you left that, Mike, and you moved on from that, and you went to Bill O'Brien, and they were still really good. Like, this this wasn't they left that and then went to, oh, 25 a game. Every coordinator has brought his unique perspective to Alabama, and that's why I, I trust that, that Saban's probably going to get it right. He's got a lot of input and people he knows around the coaching business. So maybe the, the fact that, you know, this guy from Notre Dame is yeah, like – Tommy Rees is young, but the, their offensive numbers weren't great. Well, but that's the thing. So you go, well, do you look at that or do you look at maybe how he works with quarterbacks or what his secret sauce is? I don't know what it is, but Saban has been able to put his finger on it. Guys, when he hired Lane Kiffin, Alabama fans said he's crazy. He went the opposite direction of what felt comfortable. It worked. And then it didn't. Well, they had to shift quarterbacks because their, their, their previous quarterback goes to the NFL, tried to go to the NFL. Reese had a guy named uh, Buckner. Buckner got hurt. Drew Pine, 
They had to move. They basically had to go to their second option because of injury. Remember how, how dysfunctional Notre Dame looked those first three weeks of the season? Yeah. That was part of it. Don't forget, Brian Kelly also took some folks down to LSU. Marcus Freeman's first year looked like it wasn't going to last long at Notre Dame. But Saban, if you feel that, yes, Saban didn't go anywhere. They are. Georgia is percentage points behind. We talked about it in the recruiting class. But you and I have been talking off the air. Every year, Nick Saban's going to have the market cornered on wisdom for the great hire. Every year it's going to pan out. Sooner or later, you, the law of averages says you might pull up a, a dud. I agree. And, and here's the thing, though. We know this about Saban. It's Dukes and Bell. It's our dog report. Coming up, Dave O'Brien's going to join us. We will get to our Hawks and that photo a little bit later. But Dave O'Brien from The Athletic is going to join us to talk about our Braves. Guys, we're two weeks away from pitchers and catchers. That's on the way here in less than seven minutes. Mike, if that does, Saban will move on. He, if it, if he brings in a guy and this year, because, again, it doesn't take long, and it's not working and you're not getting what you want, I don't think he'll sit there. He's at the end of his career. He's not going to sit there and wait for this guy to figure it out three years from now. So I do feel like if he gets it wrong, he won't sit on it, and, and he'll make it right. 404-741-0929. One other thing I want to play for you, Mike, this is kind of funny. Ryan Day, head coach at Ohio State, is still upset over the no call against the dogs with Marvin Harrison Jr. at the mm. Peach Bowl. And he just recently spoke about it. And I'm like, bro, you got to let this go. Like, I, yeah. I, I understand, but you got to let this go. Listen to Ryan Day from Ohio State. I made a lot of calls after the game. Um, I felt like it was targeting. Um, in the moment, when things are moving fast and you can't see the replay, it's very hard to see. Um, the hard thing for me is to see and understand that until you know, have our um, our medical staff let us know that he was knocked unconscious, and that's why we're not going to put him back in the game. Um, yet the the flag gets picked up for targeting. Uh, I I spoke with um, the officials in the Big Ten, and um, you know had a great conversation um, with Bill. Uh, I then called at the Pac-12 to find out an explanation there. <laughs> um, the explanation that was told to me was that it wasn't forcible enough. I then asked um, to speak with uh, the head of the official, Steve Shaw. Uh, he explained to me that um, the hit um, didn't go right to Marvin's head. Okay. No, it was below. I mean, I mean, look, this is one of those things you and I always say. It's not the matrix. You can't stop it. It was like it was a crucial, big turning point moment in the game because Harrison, George, let's be honest, they were struggling with him. But then it was the Ohio State defense. It was outscored 18. I mean, like he gave up 18 points, 18 to three in the fourth quarter. Stetson Bennett had two awful quarters. And then let's be honest, Georgia started maxing out the blitz and started moving things around and making putting pressure on CJ Stroud. To me, it's I'm sorry, Ryan Day, you're barking up the wrong tree. That that to me sounds like the ultimate sour grapes. You know, build a better mousetrap in the fourth quarter. And, and by the way, if it's coming down to one guy, look at Georgia. Georgia lost Darnell Washington. Georgia had to get out of their 12th personnel right to start the game. Nobody's belly aching about that. Coming up, Dave O'Brien from the Athletic to talk about our Braves. What does our team look like as we get ready for pitchers and catchers to report in just a few weeks? Stay right there. You'll hear from Dave next on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game and Odyssey.com. Coming up, we'll talk about our Hawks in the 5 o'clock hour. They got a big win last night. Arguably their best road win, 132-100. to 100? Total victory. I mean, complete, man. Really was. Uh, Suns uh, shorthanded, but it doesn't matter. We don't care about that. So them problem. Yeah. When we are shorthanded, nobody complains. But we'll get into what happened last night. Uh, there is a photo that's out. And I'm joking, guys, when I say it's the photo that everybody's talking about because it just doesn't happen that often. Maybe it should happen more often. But Trey had a milestone last night, and we'll let you know about that, as well as this road trip continuing. Jazz tomorrow night. Tomorrow we'll have Steve Coonan on to talk more about our, our Hawks. And then you play the Nuggets on Saturday night. So back-to-back situation, we'll get into that. Also, coming up, 
at 5 o'clock in about 30 minutes from now, 35 minutes, mm-hmm. we're going to get into um, why I think that this is the, the best position we could be in, Mike. I just – that announcement yesterday – I said we should be happy, right? And I said this yesterday about Tom Brady, not because I'm happy that, you know, it's Brady's decision, whatever. But how it shapes this division now. He came to this division, Mm -hmm. and we kind of said, okay, well, it's the Bucs to beat everybody else. We just gave it to him because of what he brought. And rightfully so. And then for two seasons, Mike, they did just that. And then this year they got in the playoffs by the hair on their chinny-chin-chin. No, I mean, look, they looked incomplete. We We may have been able to beat them down in Tampa Bay. When you think about how Grady, uh, you know, the, the ridiculous passing there, I mean, roughing the passer call against Grady Jarrett. And again, just Brady didn't want contact. He did not pass the eye test. Balls that normally he would be hitting guys in the hands or the, or the eight, right in the numbers, he was short-arming some of those passes. We saw it. I mean, you heard everybody from you, me, to Al Michaels saw it. Everybody saw it. But this year, I also thought, remember going into this, I thought the Saints building on Jameis coming back from a great first half last year. And the Jameis was basically the only good game he had was against us. And for a quarter. Right. The Saints are going the other way. Talked about how they've they've got to find their new quarterback. Bobby Abert talked about it. I mean, they're feeling good about Andy Dalton. That tells you how the standards have fallen down in New Orleans. They're no idea what the Panthers are going to do. They're going to be breaking in a rookie quarterback, too. All right. We're going to shift gears. Dave O'Brien is going to join us, but uh, I think we're going to push him back. So let's talk about what happened last night, specifically, Mike, with, with Trey Young. 3,000 assists. It's a hell of a milestone. Mm-hmm. And the photo that's out there, Trey put up uh, on his social media of the entire team. And part of it was, listen, there are things that are being said about Trey Young potentially wanting to want a trade. I don't necessarily know if that's true, and I'm not talking about right now. I'm talking about in the offseason. That's not going to happen anytime soon. But I also think it's just kind of foolish, and it's fodder for the, for the ignorant, Mike, when you start talking about Trey Young just signed a max deal. Okay, There are very few guys in the league, and in the NBA, if you're going to do trades, that stuff's got to match up. So you're talking about if that was to happen right now with this new deal about to kick in, what are you getting in return, and how do the salaries match up? I don't think it's feasible, nor do I think it's it's believable at this point. But I will say this. Mike, two seasons from now, if this team is not moving in the right direction and we've not done anything in the playoffs, I would have no issues with Trey Young as the star of this team saying, I don't think the front office is doing enough, Mike. Right. Mike, because I don't know if the front office is in over their head. Well, I mean, if the story is from the athletic were accurate, then, you know, Trey will go to his good friend. Nick Ressler and say, get me out of here. Or, or maybe the general manager. Maybe he's in that process, too. Uh, but first things first. Let's get on track. Trey, last night, good numbers. Double-double. Everybody was cooking. They completely blew Phoenix out. Devin Booker was out, but as Carl said earlier, no one cries for us, and we lose Capella for like ten for two weeks. So that was big. We bombed him out in the uh, second quarter. Double-double for Trey. Great night, certainly for, uh, for DeJounte Murray. And then you see the photo that Carl's talking about. Everybody mugging. Kaminsky, put a shirt on for God's sakes. But everybody in the locker room having a great time. In the middle of it, right below Trey, is one Nate McMillan. So, look, all you can say is you look at the photo. I love it. No, that doesn't look like dysfunction. That looks like functional. And maybe the dysfunction only stops at the front office. Take this positivity, channel it, Carl, and go on a run and leapfrog those teams we got to get to. we got to beat the Knicks. we got to beat the Heat. And maybe try to catch the Cavs and get to five. I'm happy with six. Lock me into playoffs. Let's build on this. Go win in Utah. All right. You would like six. So would I. But but you're telling me four is out? That, that four is unreasonable to think about that we could get there? All right, here's where we're at. I did, I, no, I didn't do the numbers. I just cut and pasted. But the folks at uh, Tankathon, they add up all the numbers and the probabilities. Right now, guys, 30 games to go for the Hawks, 26 and 26. We uh, have teams in front of us. The Nets have the ninth toughest schedule. They're the four seed right now. The Cavs have the 29th toughest or third easiest. Mm. Okay, so they're uh, they're at the five. The Heat 
have the 12th toughest schedule. They're in the sixth seed right now. That's the one where we're, that's what we're aiming for. The Knicks are in front of us. They got the third toughest schedule. So the Knicks are going to have some trouble, Carl, down the stretch after the All-Star break. And the Hawks are the eighth toughest schedule with 30 games to go right now after the win against Phoenix. So that I mean that would say you got a puncher's chance, but you got to get on a run. Got to get on a run. Let me hear DJ. Uh, that's Dejounte Murray talking mm-hmm. about Trey leading the way last night. Uh, just doing what we're doing. Uh, you know, it starts with him. You know, he's a hell of a passer. You know, obviously, I think I would pass well too. But you know, we just staying together, trying to win games, trying to figure it out. Uh, like I said, you know, he was ahead of Snake. He came out. You know, getting guys involved, and it was only right for me too. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the assist, I said this. You hit 19 threes last night, so you shoot the ball well. You played defense down the stretch. You had a lead. You didn't blow it. You moved the ball. Those are all things that are going to win you games. I don't care if it's the Suns, the Bucks, the Lakers. Pick your team. So last night, Mike, a complete game last night. We need more of this. Now, I'm not going to say you hit 19 threes every week or every night, but we need more of the other stuff that wins right. games. And Trey was three for three last night from three. And uh, he only took three, but he made all of them. And as we said, he was, uh, you know, he was looking good. The only thing I think you could bellyache about, and it's, this, again, is a nice problem to have, is when you've got such a lead and you're in total control of the game, why don't you get Jalen Johnson and get A.J. Griffin more minutes? Mm. Because you, I just I don't understand that. And if you're going to trade bogey, I'm not, one of the guys who may get more minutes is A.J. Griffin. So for, for, for guys that are dealing with only playing 30 to 35 games in their college career, why don't you get them some more uh, reps? That's, that's the only thing I could bitch about. But let's be honest. Nate has really, really static substitution policy. He doesn't really move from it. Hawks never trailed last night. It jumped out to an early lead, 9-4, and then it was just on. And, again, they made 52 of 91 shots. That's almost 60%. That's 57% of shooting. So it's a good night. Nate was talking about protecting the lead. This is an area that we've not been great at. When we were up really big, I'll be honest with you guys, third quarter Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, they're going to go on a run. It's going to get tight, and then we're going to see what happens. And that didn't play out last night. Well, it's just growth. This is uh, something that we uh, expect uh, when you have a lead like that. Uh, you know, you got Chris Paul over there. You, uh, you know, have Monty over there coaching. Uh, you know, they're going to come out and fight, and they're going to get physical. And uh, you have to, uh, you know, come out and be the aggressors. Uh, we knew that was going to happen. Um, and our guys responded with solid play. Uh, you know, we didn't really let up or, or uh, start to relax. Yeah, man, they kept the pedal to the metal. Of course, 20 points from the Suns in the, in the third. They couldn't hit anything. No, they were, they were ice cold, Mike. You know, we talk about Trey Young, and ultimately, guys, it's got to equate to victories in the playoffs. That's where your legacy's built. And I don't want to take anything away from this great milestone. But I do want to tell you, when we talk about our star, and you guys are like, yeah, the star. Trey Young's the fourth player in NBA history to reach 8,000 points, 3,000 assists, prior to turning 25. He's still a young dude. And you put him, if he stays healthy, into the rarefied air of catching all those guys that LeBron just caught. I mean, that's, that's one of those things. If you, if you extrapolate that over, you know, 10, 12, however many more years that man's going to play, then that's all, re- that's all reachable. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about Isaiah Thomas, LeBron James, um, Stephon Marbury, who was the other guy, did it in 399 games. But he's, he's you know, before turning 25, it's right. pretty special. So the guy is good. We talk about his power, his star power, and what he means to this team. And again, DeJounte was talking about it last night. 
But we just we're, we're still right now in the middle of the road, as, as Mike was laying out the standings, and we're mediocre because we don't get this every night. And I'm not talking about Trey specifically. I'm saying as a team, we just don't get this every night, and that has been part of the issue. So as far as trade rumors out there, the latest stuff is uh, the, the Heat are not really happy with the inconsistency of Kyle Lowry. That's a young. A reference to a movie, but anyway, guys, bad boys. Part four. That's what way. I heard. So the uh, the story now is the Raptors apparently came close to landing DeAndre Ayton over the summer. Remember, we were talking about DeAndre Ayton. Yes. There's some rumors that came out about that. We'll see where that one goes. Zach Levine could be on the move. There's a bunch of uh, potential moves out there. Are we going to be in this? Uh, just rumors about everybody asking about Bogey, but nothing consummated as of yet. One week from today or yesterday, NBA trade deadline. Second, second, uh, so we come today. All right, Mike, what do we got coming up in Guy Talk? You watch Jeopardy? I do. I got to admit it. I, I thought I felt like an old fart at times. Sometimes when I get home yeah. and, like, the Braves are on the West Coast or Hawks last night we were in Arizona, my wife and I hunker down, eat dinner, and I watch Jeopardy. Well, I thought I was the only guy who couldn't stand this dork who was on Jeopardy. He gets knocked out of the box, Carl, and America applauds it. We'll explain the story. But wait, there's more. I've got the latest on the woman that Fricky was making strange noises about today on the radio. Yeah, man. I think we could all use some shenanigans on uh, uh, just a gross day again in the A. Rainy out there. We're looking out of our studios here in Midtown Atlanta. It's just bleh. And that, uh, that crummy Punxsutawney Phil... That uh, rodent up there in Pennsylvania, he saw a shadow. Oh. Well, by the way, and I asked this question on Twitter today. How did you not see your shadow when you got 2,700 cameras in your face with pop, 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 flashbulbs and all the lighting from the TV cameras? You'd think you're going to see your shadow. Uh, Listen. Which means six more weeks of winter. uh, Yes. uh, That is what they say. Uh, We've gone with this for years. I don't know if there's any truth to it. It's a nice myth. However, they figured this thing out. But. It does feel like it with this weather here. But I will say this. That's the take north of the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah, yeah. We got our own guy in Gwinnett. You got General Beauregard Lee. He did not see his shadow. Okay. So the southern groundhog says we're good to go. So are you saying the southern groundhog knows more than I the would, northern well, groundhog? I'm just thinking what's more germane to our proceeding would be <laughs> where we live. And the guy who's just, you know, 20 miles up the street at the, uh, I guess it's at the Dawson Trails uh, Nature Center, or Dossay if it's pronounced the French way. Yeah. But either way, that's where uh, General Beauregard Lee did not uh, see his shadow, so we feel good. Now, I guess one could argue if you go to get your um, critter and he's dead, that would be a problem, too, because I would imagine that means maybe six months of winter. Up in Quebec, oh. they have a marmot that apparently, when it was time to go pluck him out of his little like marmot house, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> he was gone. He was gone to I'm, the upper I'm room. Sorry. I'm sorry to, you know, I know maybe I shouldn't be chuckling about it. It's a groundhog. It's a rodent, Come for God's sake. He's gone. But the Canadian groundhog, Fred La Marmotte, apparently Great has a name. Ex- <laughs> I mean, technically, it is a marmot. I guess it's part of the marmot family. Um, apparently, he passed away. Canadian woodchuck cast a different type of shadow over Groundhog Day. So when, they, so when they pulled him out of the hole and they tried to prop him up. I guess I mean, you could have been if you just held him up. His eyes like two X's, like, eh. But apparently, he's not would, dead, folks. He's just sick. I guess one of the spokespeople for this thing, and I guess somewhere outside of Quebec, goes, well, some things in life you cannot predict. That's and true. Uh, this was a tough day for all of us waiting for, <laughs> with anticipation, to see Fred Lamarmot's uh, prediction. <laughs> so what does that mean? 
Your groundhog's dead. Six more weeks of crappy weather in Quebec. At least. <laughs> Probably longer if the kids, groundhog is dead. Kids are out there. All right, what does he say? Let's get him out. Oh, he's, oh he doesn't want to get up. He's being pesky. Oh, he He's is. lifeless today. <laughs> Two kids out there. Two little exes. <laughs> what say you, Fred? Six more weeks of winter. Fred says, eh. Okay. Fred as Lamette. Or Mort. Mort is the other thing. That's poop. Mort is dead. We're, de- we're laughing at a dead road. It's a freaking groundhog. Who cares? <laughs> but we love Beauregard Lee is A-OK, and that's good by me. All right, buddy. I asked you before the, uh, the commercial break, how often do you watch Jeopardy in a week? In a week? A few times. Uh, yeah. And usually it's by accident, though. Only right. because it's on. Right. And to your point, you know, having dinner, and then all of a sudden, it's time for. <laughs> yeah. Now, once Brave season's over, I got to be honest. And I thought last night when I tweeted out what I tweeted, I thought some guys would come at me like, oh, look at you, you old fart. And let me say this, Mike. Yeah. I got to interrupt you before you finish. I find myself when Jeopardy's on, there are times where you might, I might watch the first part of it, but I don't know if I watch a whole episode mm-hmm. because I find myself intrigued with questions that I think I know. And then I get a couple wrong, and I'm like, ah, screw it. And then I end up not watching the entire episode. No, because I'm a, I'm a big Jeopardy fan. I love Trivial Pursuit. I love trivia. I mean, i got to be honest with you. I do love, you know, those kind of questions. So last night I'm watching, and I'm saying to myself, is it just me or is this guy just a complete dork on Jeopardy? If you didn't see it, the guy's name was Jake uh, Diaruda. Uh, he's from Vermont, so that's strike one. Uh, and then, Carl, if you've been watching Jeopardy over the last few weeks— this guy has a lot of ticks. Okay. And he does exaggerated physical action. Like he'll he'll lean in on the console, hand to his head. You know, if he gets the answer right, he's like Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. Oh, you know, okay. So, okay. Animated. So I thought I'm really, really rooting against this guy last night. He had a big lead, and the lady who comes on to beat him looks like she's about 100 years old, and nah, she's retired. She's a school teacher, retired school teacher from Tulsa, Oklahoma, named Patty Palmer. And don't you know, Patty killed it in the literature category, which, of course, she's got some experience in teaching lit. Yeah. So this guy, apparently, I'm not the only one. The rest of the country went bananas. Apparently, uh, this guy had already been taking heat before I got around to him on Twitter. He clapped back, uh, apparently saying, now if you'll excuse me, I have to drown out all the haters. And there's a photo of him dousing himself with champagne in a shower. Wow. Presumably at the hotel they put him up with outside the Alex Trebek studios. Chris, you never watch Jeopardy. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, I, d- I do watch Jeopardy. Right. I just don't know that specific facet. This guy was, I mean, honestly, this guy was getting a lot of heat. So I don't feel so bad. And then last night I posted this and I got over like 115 people saying, oh, my God, me and my kid were rooting against him. My wife and I were hoping this guy was going to lose. So the guy basically good triumph over evil because this guy was wearing everybody out. Okay. Yeah, I, I was not aware of it. Uh, and, and I guess. just a, If you saw the facial expressions, it's kind of like uh, Jimmy Clausen. It was a super punchable face. Okay. Yeah. And, and well, those guys, you know, there are a lot of people like that. I uh, I did not pay that close of attention to it. When Usually when I'm watching, Mike, it's it's passive. I'm watching, I hear the question, I want to answer it, or maybe I don't know, and then we're talking, and you know, like I said, we're having dinner or whatever, but I was not aware of this particular guy, so he's gone. Right. He's, he's done. Right. So earlier today, we were talking about, uh, and Squid had this in Yeah Man, No Man, for guys who missed it, there was this young woman who we all thought, I think, just from the way that the, the video was portrayed and some of the news stories that broke around, whether it was TMZ or New York Post or even the Tampa Bay Times, we thought this woman was his girlfriend. Uh, she's not. She's just a woman who's trying to basically, I guess, link herself to Tom Brady. Um, she's attended the Bucks games, and she's post- posted photos, and apparently it, somebody turned this into, I guess, maybe her publicist. 
that she's pining to date Tom Brady. She's actually married. Okay. Well, let me, if I'm not explaining this, let's get crystal clarity on this. Here's John Fricky. All right. Um, I, the um, kind of ongoing debate here about Tom Brady, and I'm not talking about the, the Twitter debate about why he isn't dating this Veronica Rajek or whatever her name is. Veronica Rajek, I, 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 is it Rajek? Is, is that how I pronounce it, uh, I guess? I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know what she is. Uh, she's a model, and uh, Veronica with a K, and it's R-A-J-E-C. It could be, I don't know, I, I'm mispronouncing it. Anyway, she's a model, uh, and uh, she shouts at Tom Brady. She's the biggest Tom Brady stand in the world, and she keeps shouting at him. And people are like, dude, why aren't you, you hooking up with Veronica Rajek? And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. And it's like, Tom, you got to go. All right, whatever. Shoot your shot. I mean, I have a shoot your shot. I mean, she's the biggest Tom Brady stand in the world. Uh, but it is whether or not Fox is a Tom Brady stand. Okay, you follow. <laughs> Did that, Chris, that make it more clearer for you? More clarity, Bo? <laughs> I just know she's pretty. That's, that's about it. Anyway. It and just, shoot your shot. Yes, and then and, and you, you had no idea, nor did much of the audience this morning. But anyway. Um, I, the... Um... <laughs> But we, we kid because we care. The story apparently is this woman is just basically advancing her own agenda by trying to get stories written about her. She has not, she's not dating Tom Brady. Okay. She wants to date Tom Brady. Tom Brady is not dating this woman you've seen all these photos for the last three months. All right. Well, then stop sending me. I know me, she is. Uh, no, Hugh. Stop sending me pictures of this lady saying Tom Brady's going to be okay. This is his new hotness. This is his new flame. Right. Blah, blah, blah. When this is not. That's not the case. I mean, she's got an amazing figure. I mean, she wants to be obviously an influencer model. I well, guess she's she, she's influencing. She's influencing a lot of stuff right now. But apparently, she is just she's already apparently been married to a guy that uh, was an Olympic bobsledder from okay. uh, from Slovakia or All Slovenia. Right. I get those two Slovenians so confused. Wait, if she's currently married, then that means he's okay with her putting these pictures out and, and basically basically wooing Tom Brady. Well, apparently, her husband owns a restaurant in Vienna. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess I don't know what she's doing in Tampa. I guess they lead separate lives. Either way, this chick is mission accomplished. She's made you know she's made the news. She's had a lot of things written about her on everything from TMZ, as we said, to all the other tabloids. Nothing to do with Tom Brady. Just posting photos. Mm. Not with Tom Brady. Um, I, the, um... <laughs> <laughs> we get it. We, we get it. We understand now. Now, uh... now she's described as model admirer. Okay, so okay. that that makes more sense because right. I know Boa talked about this. I, I didn't know guys were sending me those pictures weeks ago. Brady's fine after Giselle. Okay, well listen, yeah. I, I don't know all of that. Uh, all I know is that this this young lady was posting pictures about right. Tom, and then you know nowadays, Mike. Let's be honest. You can slice and dice and do all these different things and Photoshop, and and you can make it seem like they were at an event together. Right now she's got a new photo where she's at a beach and she's all oiled up, which is kind of interesting. Naked? Veronica Rajek. <laughs> is it Rajek? Is, is that how I pronounce it? Is she in a bikini? What is she yeah, in? Oh, she's in a bikini. She's got a big Star of David around her neck. Oh, okay. Doesn't look Jewish, but every day. That's, that's an old joke from Mel Brooks. But anyway, guys, she is... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> thank you, Hugh. Still shooting her shot. Hey, man, if Live Golf took on the PGA right now yeah. in like a Ryder Cup format, who would win based on rankings and late, I guess the last few years, major wins? Would you say the Live Golf guys? It's, a, it's interesting. It seems like Live Golf took all the top current star power, right? right. Outside of Rory and obviously some other guys. But, man, I, I, I might give the nod to, to Live. reason I bring this up, uh, as you guys may or may not have seen, Phil Mickelson is back, and he's lost a ton of weight. He's made, they have guessed him, he's dropped anywhere from 25 to 30 pounds. Okay. So Phil was on social media, and a guy that used to play in the NFL, remember Danny Woodhead? Remember yeah. the, the plucky running back? 
Um, former Patriot, amongst others. He's played with the Chargers, too. Well, anyway, there was a guy from some golf magazine who said, I wonder if we could create a Ryder Cup type thing made for TV. So Danny Woodhead reaches out to Phil, and Phil says, I don't mean to throw cold water on this, but if I'm honest, he goes, it sounds great. We would dominate them so soundly, and it would be over so quick that TV would have to fill an hour of dead time. Oh. And that's why it's not happening. And again, Phil has been outspoken for live. He got the whole thing rolling when he said, yeah, the you know, Saudis are awful people, but hey, who can say no to this money? And eventually they've leveraged this. The guys that are still on the PGA Tour are actually getting more now guaranteed money for participating in the tournaments. So Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, there's the guys that are they're really devoted to PGA. But you think about it. You got Dustin Johnson. You know, you think about Brooks Kepka. Think about all the other, and a lot of the English guys. So you think Live Golf would beat him like a drum? Listen, I think he's popping off. Uh, I'd love to see it, but it's never go- it's never going to happen, Phil. The only time you're going to get to see these guys going to Now, the good news is it's really bad news for the PGA Tour. It is great news for the majors. The U.S., the PGA, the British, you know, I mean, you're going to see all that. Of course, the Masters is going to be insane because that's the only time you're going to get to see these guys going toe-to-toe. Mm. It would be great. I need to get all these guys together at some point, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen, Mike, under this current system we've got. Hey, man, many, uh, much more to get to here coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Great job, as always. I don't know what her name is. Guys are like, how do you say her name? I don't know. Freaky just told you he was trying to pronounce her name. All right, we've got the Falcon Report on the way. Why are we positioned the best in this division to do something special? We'll tell you coming up on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Um, I, the, um, 